Good evening, everyone in the building. Good evening to you online. Um, really good to see you, old friends, familiar faces, but also if you're new here um, and just feeling your way in, then uh, it's really good to see you. And as Will says, uh, I'd love to meet with you. Um, so come and say hello. Oh, I've just lost my place now. We're in Romans. It'll be a race to see who finds it first. Romans chapter 8. Just while you're finding it, I realize I've made a bit of a mistake. <laughs> um, we're doing this mini-series, just a few weeks in Romans chapter 8. And I realized as I was preparing for the message today that actually, um, I mean, Romans chapter 8 itself is, is worthy of a half a year. I've been focusing on, I was sort of zoning on, on one verse from our reading today, and, and actually that one verse could be a mini-series in itself. So I'm conscious I've, I've been working hard to strip out stuff so that we finish before midnight. That's a joke. Um, although I know some of you are worried. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I'm going to read a little passage, strap in, because there's... there's there's just so much meaty stuff here. I'm going to read Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to go from verse 12 just um, to over the page to um, verse 27. Listen to this. Feed on this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if or since we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, since we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And not only so, we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance 
with the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, the title for our mini-series is, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is More Than Conquerors. Taken that from the end of chapter 8, Paul listing a whole load of terrible things that could um, overcome us. Um, um, death or uh, angels, demons, future, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We're more than conquerors over all these things. And the letter of the Romans and Romans chapter 8 in particular, kind of equipping us with how that might be, that you and I could count ourselves more than conquerors. So, so how, how, are you, how are you feeling? As we come out of this pandemic, as we get used to new patterns and new rhythms, as we readjust. I've been having conversations with a number of you, and I, I totally get that for a number of us, we're, we're struggling. And you, you kind of see me standing up here, it's titled More Than Conquerors, and you think, oh, great. I, I, I don't feel like I'm victorious in anything. I'm I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Then this message, I hope and pray, and, and, and this verse, again, we're going to center in on verse 15 within the context of the passage I've just read, is for you today. And I pray the Spirit of God enables you to, to digest it and to take it fully in. Just, just a quick recap. Um, I was kind of uh, talking about this a, a little bit more uh, two weeks ago. But the, the context for this whole idea of sonship, and by the way, just as a caveat, I'm using that theologically, so it includes women, um, sons and daughters, but the, the phrase is uh, adoption to sonship. It's a, it's a kind of, the Greek word uh, is trying to convey this sense in Roman culture of um, of uh, Men, in particular, who uh, uh, had the full legal status as sons through adoption. And so it, it's, it's a kind of idiom that the first century culture would understand really well. But we, it's, it's not sexist or exclusive, so it includes women. Just as when we talk about the bride of Christ, that doesn't exclude men from being part of the church. So sonship or adoption by sonship doesn't exclude women to all that God has for you and I. Uh, but the, the issue was, uh, as was commonplace in those days, if, what, what happens if you're orphaned? What happens if mums died in childbirth? Often happened. Or the plague has come, or the virus back then, and has wiped out uh, your mum and your dad. How are you safe in life? I was reflecting a couple of weeks ago that psychologists uh, tell us now, they're catching up with what Scripture's always known, God has always known that just subconsciously we are always asking ourselves approximately every 15 seconds am I okay am I safe you, you did you've done it since you've been in this building uh, any new situation in new context any new encounter anything fresh something on your computer screen the, the, you pick up the phone subconsciously who is this what is this what do they want am I okay is it about me you, you, you constantly do that we, we, we're wired to be secured so in Jesus' day, in Paul's time, if you were orphan, how on earth were you secure in life? Well, you went to the marketplace. There was a price around your neck and you were, a ransom was paid. You were bought out of your condition and welcomed into a home or a household. You became 
the Greek word is doulos, translated slave, unfortunate, because of the connotations in our day and age of um, the con contemporary slavery, people coerced and held against their will. No, these, the doulos were, were free to be part of the household. They served the master. They think more sort of butler or equerry to a member of the royal family than you know, someone in chains in a dungeon. And so you were able to live through everyday life. But as I was outlining, and I think it was a bit of a recap, but it's kind of important for the context, I think. The ultimate reality was that one day the head of the household would die. And upon his death, slaves, no matter how faithful they've been, no matter how diligent, no matter how good, no matter how long-serving, slaves inherit nothing. And sons, even if they're scumbags, even they're like the, the son that Jesus talks about in the story in Luke 15, goes off and wastes everything, profligate, they inherit everything. And that future reality works its way back through life into the present experience. And it rocks the life of a doulos. And unless you are a son of the father, in which case when he dies, you inherit. Unless you are a son, you are radically insecure. Because even if you have the household now, even if that which you depend on now secures you, puts bread on the gives you clothes to wear on your body, it, it secures you in the here and now, ultimately it will die. It will not last. The, the 21st century equivalent of doulos is anyone who is outside of Christ, anyone who is not a Christian, because they're looking to secure themselves with something or someone else. It might be talents and abilities. I, I've got experience. I'm good at this. I'm good at that. Great. But what when this or that finishes? What when you die? What secures your ultimate, eternal destiny? Nothing but relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reality of that, what Paul talks as, describes, of, uh, describes as, as creation, the world being in bondage to decay, at a deep subconscious or, or spiritual level, we, we know that. We know that the investments we make in anything outside of God will eventually disappear. I think about my marriage to Job in, Marriage Joe coming on 30 years. I'll tell you, the, I don't, there's lots of things I'd love to hope about our marriage going forward. Here's the one thing I'll tell you with uncertainty. It'll end. Our marriage is going to end. One of us will die. That, that closes the Well, we're both going to die. But, but someone will die first, and that will end the marriage. That's the one thing I can tell you with certainty, even though it's secured much of my living for, for most of my adult life. I would be foolish to lean into even someone as wonderful as my wife. Outside of God, I'm like that doulos. The, the terror, the fear of that ultimate reality works its way back into an ache in my present experience. That's why so many people outside of Christ struggle. That's why this is such good news. In the middle of chapter 8, which is in the middle of the book of Romans, like right in the middle of this treasure chest, verse 15, here's the good news. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That is pretty much the gospel in a verse, in a sentence. That's the good news. We do not need to fear living as we do in a world in bondage to decay, where everything around us eventually will disappear and die to be recreated in the new heaven and the new earth. But anything else that we secure ourselves in will will breed fear, but we do not need to fear because we have received the spirit of life, the spirit by which we recognize God as our Father. Thanks to Jesus, who came as the ultimate doulos, the, the servant who gave his life for us that we might receive his life to become sons and daughters. Adopted. As Mark Sibby says in his book on this topic, from orphans to heirs. From slaves to sons and daughters. How good is that? Adoption to sonship, three things. First of all, it assigns my security. It asserts that I am secure. I've got, I've got three children, I've got a son. He, it doesn't matter what he gets up to in his life, he will always be my son. In fact, there's nothing he can do that can make him any less of a son than he is. If he behaves really well, he's my son. If he behaves really badly, he's my son. Adoption to sonship asserts our security as sons and daughters. Think about it like this. Slaves, in a sense, are... Doulos are, in a sense, they're understanding them. The, the worldview is contractual. Actually, you know, if they do stuff up, if you're a, if you're a slave and you, and you mess up big time, then there's the real possibility that the, the head of the household goes, well, this slave's no use. I can get plenty of others at the marketplace. I'll get rid of this one. It, it's a vicarious. Day by day, you're only as good as your last act of service. Again, there's that residual fear that translates as an ache. Am I good enough? Am I okay? Does he still love me? Will he still want me? The son never has that. The slave always has that. Adoption to sonship takes away the insecurity and asserts and assigns us with the security of knowing we are God's children. Secondly, adoption to sonship affirms our significance. And again, look at this within the context. So one commentator has described this passage from 18 uh, through to, to 27 as a symphony of sighs or groans. You have creation groaning at the frustration. It, the creation is subjected to this bondage to decay it is ever since the fall. You, you look at life around us, clearly it isn't how it's meant to be. Creation knows that itself. This isn't how we were meant to be. It's created as paradise, as perfection, as beauty. And yet we can see all around, amid the beauty, amid all that's wonderful, signs of this decay. And that frustrates creation, and alongside that, it frustrates us. We too groan. Verse 23, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit of renewal, of 
redemption, of restoration. So there's this frustration in us, sons and daughters, because we know what God is capable of doing and what he longs to do and what one day he will do, but it isn't here yet. And so we groan along with creation. So far, so good. But look, look at this, for how, how significant this makes us as sons and daughters adopted into God's family. Not only does creation groan and we groan with creation, but verse 26, in the same way, the spirit groans. He intercedes for us through wordless groans. The spirit living in us connects us with the frustration around and connects us with the God who longs to see liberation. The redemption of our bodies, the revelation of the children of God. When what is not entirely clear now, you know, it's difficult to tell, like a gathering of people, who's a son and daughter and who isn't, I don't know, I haven't got a window on each of your souls, but one day that's gonna be revealed. Paul says uh, to the Corinthians, we see through uh, uh, like a, a dim glass, of a blackened mirror, then we'll see face to face. This, this revelation will come, but for now it's frustrated. And in that moment, in this period of frustration, the spirit is interceding in us, through us. He, he connects us into the things of God. How significant is that? Like you're included into the sort of essence. It's a bit like, again, those, I suppose like those those, the staff of, of, the, of the royal family, you think about the, the, the information uh, uh, that they're party to, that most of them got no idea. It's, it's, it's like that only as, not as a doulos, but as a son. We, we're caught in with the Holy of Holies. We, we have the mind of Christ. How significant does that make you and I? Adoption to sonship secures us, it affirms our significance. Thirdly, adoption to sonship assures us of our worth. I put self-worth because the three S's need, but self-worth is a kind of 21st century Western schmaltzy thing, you got self-worth. No, it's not about self-worth, it's about worth. It's just worth in God's eyes. <laughs> we, are, we are so precious to him. He delights in us. Just in, um, don't need to turn to it, I'll, I'll find it for you. In his introduction to the letter to the church in Ephesus, Paul writes this of, of God's act of choosing us into his family, adopting us. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God adopts us according to his pleasure. He delights in adopting us. How good does that feel? That, that God chose you and me. I've, in my past experience, well, no doubt, Will, Louis, others, I've come across a number of accidental conceptions. I have never come across an accidental adoption. On the contrary, and I, I recognize that children, maybe some of us here who've, who've grown up as uh, adopted into a family, and I recognize there are issues to work through uh, in relation to natural parents and so on, all, all sorts of questions. But here's the one thing you can 
always be certain of if you've been adopted or any child that's been adopted. You can be sure that your mum and your dad wanted you. They wanted you because the bureaucracy you have to go through, the determination, the paperwork, the interviews, the, my goodness me, I went, we're good friends with people who a few years ago adopted a, a little boy. It took them months and months and it was years. Perseverance, perseverance, boy oh boy, was that little lad wanted. He chose us according to his pleasure. He delights in including us into his family. Quick story, I'm conscious of the time, but um, a few of you, you'll know who I mean by Father Raniero Cantalamessa. He's the preacher to the papal household. He's often spoken at Focus, where a few of us have gone away. It's a kind of Christian holiday in summer. And he was speaking at Focus, and I, I, I'll never forget this. Uh, he's got this lovely, gentle sort of lilt. He's, just a, he's, just a, he's the next thing to Jesus on earth. He's just the, the most amazing man, full of God's life and joy. And he said in this talk, he sort of broke off. It's quite, it was just thousands of people, but he was kind of very conversational. And he said, he said, um, he said would you like to know what I do after I have celebrated Holy Communion? And we're all there going, oh, Father, what, what do you do? Yeah, we, we're going, yeah, we'd like to know. He said, i tell you what I do. And he says, this is about how he celebrated the Eucharist. And he, did all, he did all the table, all the sort of bits that he does. And then he went and sat down. And he said, I sit in my chair. And I tilt my face up to the Father. And do you know? And he had a little twinkle in his eye. He said, do you know what I say to him? And we're all, we're all on the edge of the snow. We're thinking, what do you say to that? What, what do you do? Father Renio. So he's, he's going to confess something. You know, we're kind of wondering, this saintly, holy man, you know, he's going to sort of say something. I, he said, I turn to the Father and I say, now, Father, you can enjoy me. <laughs> and we, a bit like that, we all, the, the whole town, several thousand people, we all, kind of burst out laughing. We said, did you hear what he said? He, he told God he couldn't join. And we laughed. And he just stood there a little bit perplexed. And he just looked at us, his twinkling eyes, just sort of smiling, but not quite understanding why we were laughing. And there was this sort of slightly awkward silence. And we kind of laughed. Oh, Father, he doesn't, he, 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 he's serious. That's what he says. And then we sat a little bit, and he skillfully, he just let the silence hang and he allowed the spirit of God to work in all of our hearts and minds as we put two and two together and went oh yeah because he's prayed his confession and he's uh, taken the bread and wine that unites him to Jesus Christ he's now refreshed the very sense that he is a child of God and he knows what that means he knows he's secure in the father's love He's significant and he has tremendous worth. So much so that he knows that the Father is delighting over him. And he's simply joining in with what is already happening in heaven. Now you may enjoy me. You think it's far-fetched? This afternoon I met a baptism couple. They've got a little, little child. They want to explore christening baptism we were trying to have this conversation but it got interrupted punctuated all the way through because the little cherub 
uh, would do something, a little gurgle or pull a face or pull it, and they had a little sort of hood and they were sort of pulling it over. And every time they did something, the parents, they were, they were listening to their parish priest talk. They broke off in order that they could chortle with delight at what their little one was doing. Oh, look, he's pulling his ear. Oh, look, he's done his hood. Oh, look at that look. Oh. If, if we parents are so raptured by a little child pulling little faces, how much more do you think when he says in Scripture, does our Father delight in us, his children? Oh, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm really struggling. More than conquerors, I'm, I'm struggling. Do you know your adoption to sonship, daughtership? Do you know you are a child of God? Do you know the security and the significance and the worth and the value that that gives you? Do you know the Father's delight? So briefly, two, two, two questions around this struggling. Why, why are you struggling? I've lost my place. Come on, Romans, there you go. Because this is crucial. Verse 16, the Spirit himself tells the last Spirit that we are God's children now, if or, or since uh, we are God's children. Because the if makes it sound like, well, it's in doubt. No, it's not in doubt. Since we are God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Since, indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you notice what is certain in the whole Christian experience? Tough times, testing. Look at verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul said, he just assumes there are sufferings. He says they, just, they don't compare with what God will reveal in us. They are as nothing. They're not nothing. They're sufferings. What do you expect as a child of God? If you are joined to Christ, united with Christ, did Christ suffer? Yeah, you bet he did. Ostracized, uh, the religious elite wanted nothing to do with him. He, he suffered physically in a way that I hope and pray none of us will ever have to suffer physically. But for children of God, for Christians, yeah, we'll suffer for taking on the name of Jesus Christ. We'll be ridiculed and, and mocked and sort of sidelined. We won't be invited to certain things. We'll be discriminated against. It, it, it may get quite serious at, at work or amongst family, housemates. Yeah, it's tough. Temptation. You will, you will, as you grow into Christ, you will grow into recognizing the power of temptation. Before you were Christian, you didn't even know temptation. You just rolled over and went with it. Yeah, great. But, but now that you're looking to recognize and then resist temptation, that'll be tough. Yeah, you, you, you will have to make a stand. You'll have to flex that self-control muscle. Yeah, it's not always easy. That's tough. You try living morally as a Christian in the current cultural tides. They pull at our legs trying to drag us off and down into the whatever, anything goes. Well, not everything goes. And as a Christian, you make that stand. You'll meet the resistance of the culture. That's tough. That's tough. So are you struggling because as a child of God, 
You are feeling the resistance of what it is to live in a world in bondage to decay. Well, join in with Paul. Look at verse 36. He quotes from Psalm 44. For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That's why creation groans. And you notice the analogy Paul uses? As in the pains of childbirth, labor pains. I I hesitate as a man to say anything about the pains of labor other than to say I think it's difficult to imagine a, a more intense or greater pain that is followed so swiftly, God willing, in the normal course of things by such joy. I've, I've vis- again visited a few uh, mums, new mums who've, who've given birth just a few hours before and two things I know. One is they look exhausted. <laughs> Labour is no small thing. I am so relieved I've been relieved of that particular human experience. <laughs> it is no small thing. But, but amid the sort of exhaustion on their faith radiates joy. That They are holding the purpose of their pain. This is pain with purpose. If you're a member of a gym, you voluntarily go through pain with purpose. You, you exercise a muscle until it is weak and exhausted and burnt out. And that's the whole thing. You, in the natural course, as the muscle recovers, it gains strength. So, so you're struggling because of tests or trials as a Christian? then God is making you stronger. God is growing his joy in you because you are looking ahead, pain with purpose, future hope, hope of when you are fully united, redeemed with the Father, restored with the Father, and so his joy in you becomes your joy. And that future reality works its way back into your present experience and even though it's tough now you can know something of the joy listen to James we were preaching through James recently consider it pure joy first one uh, verse two of chapter one when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything So, you're struggling. Well, is this the suffering as a result of a child of God? Or, secondly, and just to pick up on James, is this actually just double-mindedness? I'm just kind of spoiler alert, I'm packing a bit of a punch here now. The struggling and the suffering, well, who's that down to? God has done everything in Christ to bring you into his family, to give you the security and the significance and the worth of a child of his. So if you're not living in your spiritual birthright, no wonder you're struggling to see what James goes on to say. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generally to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Those who doubt should not think they will receive anything from the Lord. They're double-minded and unstable in all they do. What I'm getting at here is I think our church in general, I don't mean necessarily St. 
But I think the Christian church in the West in general is plagued by an orphan spirit. There are men and women filling buildings like this up and down the land and across the Western world at this time who, who can just about describe themselves as ex-slaves. They understand that something of that God has come to the marketplace in Jesus, paid the price and taken me out of the slavery of sin and, and kind of brought me home. And then it begins to peter out. That's why the doctrine of adoption is so important for us to grasp and live. We've not just been taken out of slavery, we have been adopted into God's household. We're not just ex-slaves, we're sons and daughters of the living God. But many of us, much of the time, live in this, am I a slave, am I a son? I, I, I don't know. Many of us live in this kind of grey hinterland of, of sort of like an ex-slave, but not fully a son or daughter. We, we, we live in the home. We come to the building. We're surrounded by sons and daughters. But if we're honest in our heart of hearts, we're not sure where we stand. Double-minded. How, how painful must that be? What a struggle it must be, to quote James to not receive anything from the Lord, to be tossed about, to be unstable, wobbly. Just perversely, very quickly, there's a weird attraction about being a slave. You, you kind of, you know, you have a kind of contractual mindset. You have obligations, and, and, but you also have entitlements. You don't have, you can't make me do that. I can quit if I want to. Kind of, you know, it's a sort of give and take situation. And that, and that why that's quite pleasing in a, in a weird sort of way is because it gives me control. I, I, can, I can retain a measure of independence. You can't tell me, you can't make me. I, I, I am, modern parlance, you be you, I'll be me. But that's, that's a slave mentality. It's not the mentality of a son or daughter who gives themselves to the God who given himself to them. I invite you as uh, the band that's going to come up as we just move into a time of, of, again, receiving from God by his spirit, allowing the spirit of God to cry, Abba, Father, in us. I invite you to to wallow in the truth of your sonship and daughtership. And if that isn't you, if as I've been speaking, as God's been speaking through his word, you're aware that there's, there's more of a slave mentality than a son mentality, then receive all that God has for you as a son or a daughter. A little illustration this morning, uh, I, I just had a 10 pound note with the kids, they were all, they loved it. And uh, I said, who wants a 10 pound note? Some kid came in and got a 10 pound note, it says yours. I said, I said to the rest, how do, we, how do we know that they know they've received it? Because they could just put it and then blue tack it to the wall. They kind of actually got this bit of paper, 10 pound note, but we'll know when they spend it. Because when they spend it, that's when they know they've really received it. Because you, many of you, I, I bet you, you know about this. You've heard this phrase, adoption to sonship, sons and daughters. We sing about it. We talk about it occasionally. Guys, are you, are you spending the truth of that? 
Are you expending your life to experience in the present reality based on that future truth that God loves you for eternity and has called you into his family? Let's stand together. moment to let the simple truth of that verse God freely giving us his spirit not that we are slaves again to fear the ache am I safe is dealt with through the cross and by the spirit and the spirit at work in us children belonging beloved rejoiced over I think some of us here have convinced ourselves that we belong in God's family but as a doulos kind of a glorified doulos Well, you know, we, we mix with sons and daughters. We do all the things that sons and daughters do. And God, and God kind of loves that. And tolerates that. And I, you know, I kind of, and I just, you know, I, I look like a son, but actually in my heart, I'm a doulos. I, I wonder whether there's one or two of us here this evening. What you need to hear the Father say is your name. You need to hear him call you by name. Not like a headmaster called, you know, referred to you, oh, still well. Or you. It's not, it's not an impersonal thing or, oh, you'll do. Any old slave. No. This is the God of the whole universe who calls you by your name. Ask him. Even as I say that, I think there's one or two of you wrestling with the idea that God might know you by name and call you by name out of his love and joy in you. He's calling you by name just because he wants to be with you. He delights to be with you. He doesn't want you to do something. He doesn't want to use you as a slave. He wants to see you as a son, daughter. Hear him call you as son, and daughter, you'll, you'll slide from doulos to child, from slave to free. Let's worship God in that context. Let's hear him call us. In Jesus' name.